0: How much can I empty myself of my own agenda, biases, perspective, dictions, and allow your world to enter so that I could say, I really see you. And now I want to know if it's okay if I can offer another perspective. But my first goal is that you should feel evil. This is a saying I often tell my couples' clients. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. That bias of our personal sort of biased glasses we wear through which we obscure, redirect, cloud, real clarity of what is happening in other world, the more time we could make to actually process ourselves, which is things like active listening, like really active listening. That's why tool number one in the biological things is mirroring. Bedrock of imagotherapy therapy is mirroring. And it almost might seem, what? I'm going to be a parent to repeat somebody else's words. But what's interesting is we don't do it as a society. There is no training, there's no value placed on, and I pause, actually back to you. what I heard you say to make sure that we've really have alignment or attunement to each other's reality. And there's only one way I can verify that. And it's not by saying to you, I hear you, because the reality is I have no confirmation. That's what I believe I heard is actually what you meant.
1: Can we really talk about anything and expect people to listen to understand when it's something so difficult for them to hear? This is Listening to Understand, where sensitive Jewish truth-seekers gather in a safe place for candid conversations on challenging topics. When we listen to truly understand, and not in order to respond, we can replace judgment with curiosity and open our hearts to every Jew, regardless of their personal choices. As Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. I'm Atena. Let's get started. Welcome to Listening to Understand. This is very exciting because I recorded most of my episodes earlier on, and I realized that they are very sensitive topics and very triggering topics to a lot of people in the Jewish community. And then I was thinking, I have all these episodes, but I don't really have a how-to toolkit in this podcast on how to have proper conversations when they're difficult, how do we truly listen to understand, and what does that mean, and why is that even a thing? Today I have Igor Meistelman. He is a lawyer that turned therapist, and I can actually say therapist this time. I interviewed him for Hope to Recharge when he was a specialist for Imago therapy, and then he turned therapist recently, official therapist, even though he had a private practice for a while, helping people with imagotherapy. And I was thinking if there's anyone that can help me tackle this difficult topic of how do we listen to understand? What does it mean to truly listen to understand? How do we do it when it's something that's super hard to listen to? And I think the basic question is, Do we really need to have difficult conversations if it's something that we don't agree with? So this is like a lot of what was coming up for me. And I realized that in the past three years, as you heard in the previous episode, that I've been working really hard on this muscle of listening to understand. And I realized how hard this muscle is. And it's really not something simple. And we could say, oh, are you listening to understand? And then they're like, no, I'm triggered. I'm emotionally overcharged. I don't want to listen. And there are going to be a lot of conversations in this podcast that are on topics that sometimes people are saying, like, why are you even bringing this up in the Jewish community? Are we supposed to be listening? Are we supposed to even have these conversations on abortion? Is abortion allowed in the Jewish community? LGBTQ? What other conversations are we going to have? Religious married to an agnostic. We're going to have get refusals. Igor's laughing. Get refusals. What are you getting yourself into? <laughs> but these are important conversations because people are feeling ostracized, broken, homes that are filled with these conversations that are feeling taboo and sexuality, religion, spirituality. And if you don't bring it up, sometimes... That's the wound. Sometimes we can't fix things. Sometimes there's no answers. But very often, just speaking about it can bring some kind of healing and understanding. And I felt that it was important to tackle these conversations in the Jewish community so we can have a space to have these conversations and analyze them with people that know a little bit more than me, and maybe I can gain clarity. But I really was doing it because I need to practice listening to understand. And the other day I was practicing listening to understand. And we have an MO in our family ever since I started this goal of listening to understand. So my children or people challenge me and say, Mommy or Matana, are you listening to understand? Are you really listening to understand? And I say to them, I'm trying to, I'm really trying to. And then I find that I'm really not. So I brought Igor in because I think that if there's anyone that can really explain to us how to do these conversations properly, let's start with our home and then let's start with our friends and let's start with communities. And the goal is to bridge these gaps in the places that they're there. And maybe if we remove the gaps, we can be a little bit closer. So Igor, thank you for joining me here. And I know that you said that I'm very courageous for bringing on this podcast, but we're going to tackle it one conversation at a time. Are you ready, Igor? Very much. Very much. This I just want to remind people, if they didn't listen to the interview on Hope to Recharge, if you're new to who we are. So Igor grew up non-religious, and then he became religious in his teenage, late teenage years, or was it 18, 19?
0: Graduate school, 23 years old.
1: Oh, 23. Okay. And he went under this journey of finding his spirituality, finding his relationship with God. And he realized after being a lawyer for so long that there's a dialogue missing in families. So let's break it down, Igor. What are we missing in when we say listening to understand? Everybody says, I'm listening. Do you hear me? Do you listen? What is the true definition of listening?
0: Part of the challenge of answering your question is that I have to slice through a lot of very important background in order to offer what might look like an answer. And I think in some way, what's going to be here in our dialogue is if we're going to listen to understand then we also need to fill in some context so that the listening and understanding could really take place. If you just want to cut to the chase and then I'll reverse engineer, this is the way I would define it. How much can I empty myself of my own agenda Biases, perspective, dictions and allow your world to enter so that I could say, I really see you. And now I want to know if it's okay if I can offer another perspective. But my first goal is the saying I often tell my couples clients we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. That bias of our personal of bias glasses we wear through which we obscure redirect cloud real clarity of what is happening in other world the more time we could make to actually process ourselves which is things like active listening like really active listening and that's why tool number one is mirror bedrock of imago therapy is mirroring and it almost might seem what i'm going to be a parent they're going to repeat somebody else's words But what's interesting is we don't do it as a society. There is no training, there's no value placed on, and I pause, actually back to you what I heard you say to make sure that we've really have achieved alignment or achievement, And there's only one way I can verify that. And it's not by saying to you, I hear you. Because the reality is I have no confirmation that what I believe I heard is actually what you meant to me. When I all of a sudden stop and I say, oh, so what I'm hearing you say is when I did that, it upset you. Am I understanding you? Yeah. Yeah. You got me. Is there more you want me to know about that? Yeah. And I wish more sense it. And when we do a few of these cycles, what happens is I I like to use the metaphor of two people flying on two altitudes in their airplanes and they'll never meet. Every moment of mirroring does this. Brings it closer. Until we achieve attunement. And that takes time. That is not, okay, I'll mirror you a couple of times and I got you, right? No, that's not attunement. That's just being a parent. So it's about intentionality. It's my intention when I mirror you in order to link up with your world, to really understand what it's like to be you. Is my intention to experience true contact, of both people's humanity or is it just i need to dismiss you i need to get rid of you so fine i'll hear you out and i hope you go away that muscle is not trained it's nowhere you could take from first grade through undergrad graduate school there is no training currency value placed on the concept of active listening training validation and empathy muscles these things they just don't exist they're not part of our Vocabulary or collective conscience. So when you matana invite a conversation like that, yeah, expect a certain amount of recoil and defensiveness from people, and for a number of reasons. But one to me, one of the basic ones, I you know, if we're starting society around us, and I feel like I'm always in a society study mode because every couple comes in is another family, is another sliver of society. What I always feel I see is wow, bummer. There's no training. I can't even blame either spouse. You have no tools. Nobody gave you tools. Nobody emphasized to have these tools. And we could spend all our time on the many professions as continuous learning education and making sure you stay on top of your degree. And then when it comes to even something as simple as engaging in a meaningful way with another human being, I'm going to wing it. I'm going to rely on my intuition. what's my intuition worth? My intuition is a collection of however far I got in evolution of my own humanity. So if I'm still operating as a 12 year old in box 40 year old, that's the extent of humanity that I will see in you. So that's all I have available. So until I expand my own capacity, I can only hold you to the degree of a 12 year old, for instance.
1: So I have so many questions on that. First of all, as I'm listening to what you're saying, I'm thinking if there's no dialogue, can we listen? We listen to the radio we listen to music, are we truly listening when there's no dialogue to confirm? Let's say we're listening to a class and there's no back and forth. Is that training of true listening?
0: Now you're gonna get me in trouble because I have very big ax to grind with the topic of classes. And there's a concept that the rabbis talk about, even though you don't mean it now, but if you practice, eventually, like the externality will arouse, awaken internality. What's interesting is I was going through this book with a few friends of mine on Shabbos afternoon called Spare the Child. It's an amazing book on education of children. And he brought out this idea that it was like a little twist and all of a sudden I was like, wow, I completely missed the boat. And he says the following thing, the idea of do it even if you don't mean it and then eventually you'll mean it. He said, it's a lie. It will never happen unless you add one more ingredient that you want the change to happen. You
1: want to want.
0: You want to want. So I go to lectures and I listen and somebody's presenting and downloading data into my brain. But if their intentionality that it should be integrated, if I'm not pausing and saying, how does this impact my life? What can I draw from this? If I'm not having that internal openness, then all that's happening is a download, upload, download, upload. So it all stays here, never goes past the net. And if at best, and at worse, and just one year comes out the other year, because I never entered into that experience with the intention. I want this experience to transform me, to be present for whatever reason, check a box off, or I thought it was an interesting presentation, but it's not because I actually want to be transformed the experience. So you need the intention combined with the activity. If it's just the activity, then it's just the shell. I can repeatedly do it many times. That way somebody could serve in the army. Three, five years, these like famous stories. I grew up in Soviet Union. It's like they serve in the army for three years. They come back and a person just becomes a bomb a loser. We're like growing up it with like a cultural thing to talk about how Wings were just destroyed by the army service, even though there was a regiment and you wore uniform and everything fell apart.
1: I want to just confirm what you said, because I once interviewed a a psychiatrist and her name was Jenna, and she was talking about affirmations. She said exactly what you're saying. She said, you could say affirmations from today to tomorrow. If your mind believes that it's not true or believes that it's like this hocus bogus stupidity that doesn't work. It's not going to work. She said, the only time it works, even if you don't believe it. So let's say you say, I want to find a meaningful relationship. I want to find, I'm in a meaningful relationship. I'm in a meaningful relationship. I'm in, somebody that wants to get married. She said, but if they don't say, and they don't believe it, and they don't believe what they're saying, but somebody spiritual told them, say affirmation, start believing, attracting, the law of attraction. She said, but you have to say, I want to want. I want to believe that this works. I want to find my spouse. I want to know what I'm going to do with my career. So she says the one-to-one is so important in order for the brain to believe that it's possible.
0: I wanted to tell you that there are many times clients that I work with, it's like my thing. The truth is I it out there, nobody's going to steal this from me, but I'm right now contemplating continuing my studies and actually doing this in the program that I was doing my master's in marriage and family therapy. And after doing all the clinical hours, for me, for myself, the pattern that I began to see with couples is that very often one spouse was struggling with self-esteem and self-esteem was the thing that was energizing all kinds of unhealthy cycles within the relationship. Okay, Without getting into all the nitty how it works, but self-esteem for me became like, this is the topic and I really want to study and very deeply understand the subject so now, now why am i telling you this because many times i'll sit work with my clients and i'll say you're amazing what you did is so special and i see i call this the cringe moment client is like recoiling what i receive that i just gave them a compliment wanna, they don't want to allow it to be part of their reality because like you said they're so already entrenched in a prior belief and I look to them i look because to me the cringe moment that's the growth moment. They're having this internal struggle. And I just look at them and I say, just breathe it in. Yeah. Just breathe it in. We'll just stay. But that's what I'm talking about. It's those little moments where we feel the internal and there's a turmoil. That's when we are fertile soil. And if we're just like, let me do this. Let me do this. Okay. Like, that we are basically cut off, the mind is doing, it's actually, the brain really is doing its amazing thing, which is being able to retain autopilot mode, but we're not engaged. We're not, the way I like to say, we're not present in our own life's journey. That's true. We allow ourselves to become a passenger and there is no driver. Car moving. The beauty of, and people shouldn't despair about this, we can always jump out of the shotgun and resume driving posture. And it's okay if it's a journey and sometimes we're checked out and sometimes we're checked in, that's okay. But that aspect to bring us back to this idea of like, how do we listen? It's the intentionality of, I want to be here and I want this experience to matter. It it has to start with that, or otherwise we're just going to cheat the broods without real meaning.
1: What you're saying is that if there's no dialogue, if I'm listening to something, that I'm listening to a class or a podcast, if somebody's listening to this, if there's no dialogue of them repeating, did I understand Igor said, blah, 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 blah. They need to have the intentionality because that's the grounding part of the listening.
0: Why am I such a huge fan of Imago? Because even though there's EFT, Emotionally focused Therapy, John Gottman, which all have great tools, Imago is unique in that the couple doesn't speak to me. We don't triangulate, which is what happens in a couple session. Each person shares something, the therapist, as if some sort of wise sage from out the Olympus dispensing wisdom. And then the couple goes on empty handed. But what did they gain? We just throw around some ideas, but when those seats are turned and they face each other and all of a sudden what I'm hearing you say is you were really hurt when this and that happened, the connection is activated. Now I am forced to be present with you. You are no longer a concept. You are a real human being. And I just have to decide, how much do I want to plunge the depth of understanding your world, your soul, who you are, and how much I'm willing to share with you about me.
1: So let's go back to very important relationships. If it's marriage, children, family members, colleagues, community, other people. I'm expanding the connections, right? So first of all, is every topic on my heart really shareable with anyone? Can we really talk about anything? And expect people to listen to understand when it's something so difficult for them to hear. For example, a rabbi that's very against LGBTQ to say, Let's talk about gay marriages.
0: Talk about it with congregants.
1: Let's just bring it up in conversation. Let's hear an experience from a member from our community that's gay. A member of our shul is gay. Can we talk about it and be comfortable with it?
0: It's a very complicated conversation topic. And I'll tell you why I'm saying that. Because my heart wants to say, yes, of course we can and we should try to do it. But my mind tells me, and after working long enough with families all these years, both as an expert and a the therapist, is that I just don't think it's realistic. Meaning in the premise for that question, that can we do it, is if we are all perfectly worked out and we resolved all of our wounds, childhood, adult wounds, whatever we are carrying around, we basically became angels. Then we could just listen to each other perfectly. But if you have something you want to talk about, just let's say, and I'm your friend. So the tension that's going to come up is, but there are two people here. So just like you may have a need or desire to talk about something, I may need not to hear or be exposed certain things.
1: To not even hear?
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: To not even hear.
0: Look, I'll give an extreme example. Let's say a boy in his mid-20s struggled with, oh, this comes up all the time. I see in my work. Boy, is 20, struggling pornography. Should he be able to discuss that with his 14-year-old brother? Because he wants to feel seen and heard? My answer would be no.
1: Wait, that's a little bit different. Why? Because a 14-year-old is not going to be the one that's going to understand because he can't understand. But can he talk to it with his friends, with his neighbors, with his rabbi, with his parents?
0: Oh, so there you go. So we're in agreement. Should there be a place and time for the conversation? Absolutely. Should that be decided carefully and not happenstance? Oh, let's just talk about it. I just need a stage. I need an audience with whom I could talk about it. So to that, I think, no, we have to carefully create, let's call them spheres of safety where conversations take place because we've through what would be the most productive, useful environment. I'm assuming you don't mean, can we promote an environment where everything goes? No. I don't think it's realistic.
1: I'm not saying that.
0: But it will get upset. It will just detonate before it even start. If we construct in the right way, then yes. As far as I'm concerned, you name a topic, I'm always going to say it has a place in Torah. The only question is, can we create a proper, responsible way with that topic to exist? So if you tell me, Igor, what do you think about a rabbi who says, absolutely not on my watch, over my dead body? This topic is never going to be discussed. So as a therapist, first I'm going to say is, I wonder what wounds he lives with.
1: Exactly.
0: As a fellow human being, a fellow Jew, I'm going to say, wow, I hear you. It's so sad that you're like, this is the only position you can take. Keep in mind that everybody has their own, I think also spins here as to how their faith informs them. I come from tradition where my rabbis taught me It's we never hate another person or criticize or judge them. There are things that to ourselves is not okay or okay. And that refers to their actions. But every person is entitled, deserves to be seen, to be appreciated, to be acknowledged, and to be seen for their struggles and not to be judged and to be, let's tuck them away and let's pretend they don't exist. They're an inconvenient existence. So let's just remove them.
1: So you're saying it comes to who it is, when it is, and how it's done.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: That's what it is. Who are we talking to? When are we talking to them? And how are we having the dialogue? And what I'm understanding for you is that we want to aim for a world that people are willing to listen, even if we don't agree. The goal of this podcast is not to get everybody to agree on everything, because that's impossible. And it's not even an ideal situation. I remember Dr. Demartini says, we don't want everybody to be the same because then the world won't be balanced. We need the differences because that's what balances the world, right? The different beliefs, different strengths, different existence. How do we coexist with different beliefs and not be threatened by it and not say the fact that you exist in a different way? And I always take this as an example that people can relate to because it's not so triggering like somebody is vegan and somebody loves meat. And if the person that's vegan is vegan because it's a moral decision for them. Do not kill animals. We should not eat animals. We should not torture them. We should not slaughter them. Let them live. Don't enjoy an animal by eating them. And the other person that's, that loves meat, it's God created meat. I want to eat it. Even even gave us rules of how to kill the animals. Let's go and have fun. It can be very emotionally charged these conversations. I remember with COVID, the masking and non-masking, the vaccine, not vaccine. And it was anguish. You couldn't even have a conversation. People were, homes were falling apart if there were two beliefs in a home or relationships, communities, right? Terrible. Let's go back to the COVID example. Can we really have conversations about vaccine? No vaccine, mask, no mask the social distances with not personalizing it to a degree that you are a person that I cannot associate with. So let's say for the, with a a COVID example, people are going to say, yeah, but they came into my house and they gave me COVID. Fine. I'm saying somebody lives in Australia. I live in Israel. No one was able to leave Australia in the time. Can we have a conversation on the phone on the topic of what we believe?
0: I'm going to say that's a good point because obviously there's practical consequences, right? I sincerely believe that if somebody's COVID and I'm coming to my house, as if they are an attempted murderer, right? They're literally right. kill me. So I can take practical precautions and say, no, you cannot walk into my house.
1: But that's boundaries.
0: Correct. That's right. That's just a practical aspect of it. But you're right. Once to turn it into, but wait, we were on the phone across the globe and we still can't have a conversation. But yeah, I think that's a problem. And again, this is why I made that reference. So if we're inviting kings to attempt to be angels, which is... If I want to go on, the, on a lifetime mission of self-discovery, self-reclaiming, Deep. deeper understanding of what makes me tick, how I operate, because that's what it will take. Because just like when you give me the example of this, I got upset when you would tell me that you're uh, anti I still have to ask myself a question, which most people are not going to ask. Why am I getting so upset? Therapists can say, do you ever think about, fine, you could hate your neighbor, they're irresponsible. You wish they disappeared. They sold their house and moved away. Great. But did you ever ask yourself, why are you so upset about it? Like, why wasn't it just an intellectual decision? And you're like, that's it. What makes me so angry? What makes you so angry? What exactly is it that somebody is irresponsible with their own life, irresponsible versus other people's lives? Okay. Where did you learn from, or do you have memories of what it was like for you to see irresponsible people? All of a sudden, a whole new world begins to open up. Oh, I have things that I learned a long journey of my own life. A lot of it is lodged into the subconscious, so I'm not aware of it. I don't think about it. That now informs the way I react, respond to various situations. And so if you ask me why you're getting angry, I can't even answer that. All I can take you is, what do you mean? This is something that is upsetting. But why is it upsetting you? It's upsetting. That's literally how people communicate. It's very hard to move from A to B. If all I can come up with as to why I'm upset and I don't want to talk to you is because I'm upset and I don't want to talk to you. So that's why I love Rene Brown's perspective on how vulnerability is what stands between us and the connection that's waiting on the other side. You have to walk through that vulnerability. Real connection is only when I say Instead of me being angry that you took the position you took, I'm willing to be vulnerable. And somebody in my family got very sick. And I have all these fears about the disease. And this is where I want to bring a little bit of real, I want to say, biochemistry into the conversation is understanding this very important distinction between sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic nervous system is God placed in us ability to survive, without us sitting and meditating on survival. There's a bear coming out of the woods. My entire system is activated, muster energy, strength, adrenaline, my brain will release chemicals to force me to perform until I brought myself back to safety. I lose my appetite, pupils dilate, the body's heat concentrates on most essential organs. Parasympathetic nervous system's job is to bring me back to equilibrium once the danger has passed. What's interesting, and there's a lot of research discussing this, is the version of that in our current society is because how many of us are confronted with bears and woods? How many people go hunting? We don't. Our bears and our woods is our day-to-day life. It's the person who didn't start driving through the lights turned green. It's the person who hung behind me the clerk at the cash register who didn't give me my change fast enough. All of a sudden, all of these different day-to-day experiences activate consistently and repeatedly our sympathetic nervous system. Guess what? Turns out when you share with me your perspective and as I'm listening to you, I already disagree. I'm also activating my sympathetic nervous system.
1: And you feel it. Your heartbeat start. You're Blood pressure goes up, your head wants to explode. Sometimes you're shaking, literally like a panic attack.
0: But let's finish that thought. And there's one more thing that's happening. Prefrontal cortex. And you're discussing a change in our society that will absolutely require prefrontal cortex. I need to be able to listen to you. Think about future consequences. Analyze how this may impact my life other people's, that's prefrontal cortex activity, and that's not available if I'm in a fight-flight mode. The only way I become available in myself to have the conversation you're describing is if I'm able to pacify my sympathetic nervous system and allow my prefrontal cortex to come online. How do we do this? Enters the scene, the MAGO dialogue. We dialogue through it. So what's the typical mistake couples make? One spouse comes over to the other and says, this bothers me. You did this and it hurt me. What's the normal reaction? Let me tell you what you did to me. What about all those times you did things and I didn't say anything? And off we go to the races. What if we change the entire experience of the following? There's something that's bothering me that I would love to discuss with you. Is now a good time? What did I just do just by asking that question? I subliminally sent your message. Your world is important. I don't want to just encroach into your space just because I'm feeling dysregulated. I first want to signal to you from the get-go that I respect your world and I want to know and re-have the conversation. Step two. So I ask for an appointment, literally. And people were like, really? I thought I live with this person.
1: No, really. No, but I know I started applying it in my own life with my children, even with people that I work with. Is now a good time. And especially Ari, is now a good time. And often and I find often when we respect their boundaries of asking, they're so eager to say, sure, but maybe yes now or let's make a time and they remember it because you respected their time. Oh, that's right.
0: And what did that do? It like sent a little jolt. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Empathetic nervous system relaxed. Versus when I crowd your space and I'm I need to talk to you about this and What's happening to you? You go totally defensive. You're no longer accessible to me. But let's say, so it's now the time, right? I set an appointment, you say yes. Now here's step two, two, we're not done yet. We call this contracting. It's funny, I'm borrowing a legal term in therapy. No so contracting. Now I'm going to say to you, can you tell me, I want to talk to you about something that might be triggering, upsetting. Can you tell me, how can I share with you that you think will give the least chance that this will be triggering and upsetting to you. And what's the typical response, the other spouse says, can you try your best not to raise your voice? Speak in a gentle tone of voice kind. Mind. I don't feel like you're attacking me or judging me. I feel like I could listen to you, even if it's a hard topic. Great. I will try to do that. Thank you for telling me what you need. That's step number two. And then one more step number three. Can we agree now that if during the course of the conversation, You start feeling attacked, not safe, judged. And we pause and you tell me, Igor, you know what? It was going well, but I'm beginning to start to feel like you're attacking me. Remember, we agreed in the beginning, we contracted that you'll try to speak in a certain tone of voice. Do you think we could still do that? Or do you think maybe it's just gotten too much? Matana, thank you so much for pointing out. I'm sorry, I got a little worked up over this. Thank you so much for reminding me mind. I want to try one more time. We agreed on the time. We contracted how we will engage each other, what you need to feel safe in the conversation. And we agreed that we can pull each other, call cool each other out if something has gone awry in that exchange. So I call this building safety steps into the exchange before we begin the actual conversation.
1: There's a lot of groundwork that needs to be done. So what I'm understanding is before you have a difficult conversation, you must prepare the grounds. Yes. And prepare it for like semi-battle. It might be like a rocky road here and let's prepare the ground. By the way, I did that yesterday with Ari. As you were saying, I was smiling. I was smiling because we're very familiar. We did a lot of research on listening to understand because I'm Practicing this for three years and failing, but failing brings awareness. That's what I say. Don't give up. It just brings awareness. And we bounce back very fast. So, what once would escalate, escalate, disconnect. Now it's escalate. Are you listening to understand? Okay, let's take a deep breath. Let's start again. Okay, I literally take a deep breath and I'm like, okay. And then he could say, I feel like you're attacking. I feel unseen. I feel unheard. I feel whatever. I feel blamed or not validated, whatever it is. And then it just brings it down because as you said before, it just makes it human versus a battlefield.
0: And we don't have these tools. People don't intuit their way to these enter We always assume, I certainly did, before I did this work with my wife and we went on our own journey. Until we did that, for me it was also like no brainer. There's my wife, she looked across the room. Oh, there's screaming child and the supper's not ready. And yeah, but she's there. Obviously, she's available for conversation, right? Why wouldn't she be? Not only that, I'll be upset or offended that she wasn't willing to listen to me. And whenever pause, would be like, wait, that's another human being. Who's there available? Who said they're right now ready to engage in a conversation? You're ready to, to engage into in that process of the terms of engagement. I tell couples all the time, just think about this for a minute. Look at the dance you guys do now. You start conversations, things blow up, and then you have to come to me for three sessions to heal the ruptures that result from that. Isn't it make sense to take 10, 15 minutes and practice the contracting, and now you'll the groundwork on which you could, a skyscraper, and really establish a really good conversation because all the safeties are in place to gird and hold space for a really good conversation.
1: Esther Perel just came out with this phenomenal course. I think it was a few months ago. Anything she puts out, I buy right away. And she put a course about, I think it was like how to disagree or how to fight effectively or something like that. And she said, what's so interesting is that we're very uncreative with our fighting. We do the same thing over and over and over versus saying, okay, we did the dance again. Should we do a different dance? Should we attack it a different way? But we don't. But when we listen to understand, it removes this repetition and we meet the other person where they're at that moment. And it's a willingness to say it's really about listening. It's not who is right or wrong.
0: I want to tell you something that I think it's very important it doesn't get missed. It's something I also love pointing out to clients. People tend to think when I describe this process of contracting and laying the groundwork for the real conversation. Mm-hmm come on, I really have to deal with this. Like I got to go through this whole phase one. Right. To get to the conversation I want. And I want you to know that I've done this long enough. I feel very confident saying that here's the mistake. That contracting is also part of creating connection in the relationship. So, true. The mistake we make is point, oh, I'll hold my breath and then we'll talk about how I'm frustrated with my boss at work. No, when mm-hmm. you took those 10, 15 minutes, Establish what you need from the other. You are already yes. activating and bringing yes your relational connection.
1: Yes, Talk about your boss.
0: Yes. Is icing it's on also the cake?
1: Bringing down. It's like a semi meditation. I'm preparing myself and I'm preparing us. And there's a little bit of empathy created around, like a vessel to receive. We're preparing the vessel to receive this information. I want to make sure that everybody understands it's not only about marriages. This is in any relationship with children, with any meaningful relationships. And I would assume that this podcast is to create any conversations in important places, especially in the Jewish community. Like we need to expand conversations in the Jewish community. And so we can be more accepting, less judgmental, less toxic to each other. But when we create these little conversations around the conversation, it prepares it and it makes it a little bit more feasible to have. So the step number one is prepare the ground and make sure that they're willing to be in it. Some people are saying, no, I'm out. I'm not in this. I'm not in this agreement. As you said, I'm not, you prepare a contract and you're in this agreement. So before you listen to this podcast, ask yourself, are you willing to come into this agreement of being willing to learn about listening to understand in order to cultivate more softness in the Jewish community. Are we willing? And if not, this is not your podcast. This is definitely not because it's going to be a very triggering and very hard for some people and understandably.
0: Yes, very understandably. But like I said before, to me, what I find, again, almost like sociological, anthropological study is where people have their re- recoiling reactions and they get defensive and irritated. I feel like the question that's always left on the table and is not explored is, but why am I feeling this way? Why is this what's coming up for me? And we don't talk about We talk instead about the reaction, instead of why is this happening?
1: It's a good question.
0: Oh, this. Why was this topic so aggravating for me to look at?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I want to go down that path for a second. So let's say somebody is listening to me say, I'm very controversial. I don't think you knew that yet. (laughs) So a famous thing in my house, I'll say abortion is not murder. It's old. I do not let, I shouldn't say, I cannot tolerate. And maybe this is also not, I don't listen to understand properly. But when people say abortion is murder, I literally shut down. And I realize okay, the person that's saying that obviously doesn't understand a lot about human dynamics and is quick to judge or quick to say or uneducated on this topic enough to say that abortion is murder. And I'll say maybe some are, but I don't want an absolute. Anything that's absolute, I'm not willing to tolerate when it comes to this sensitive topic. If somebody has that conversation, somebody like me, what happens? If I'm not willing to hear some kid from a yeshiva, like a bachar, saying every abortion is a murder. How do I enter this conversation? How do I actually enter it to start listening to him? And I'll say, but it's the Torah, it's the Torah. It says in the Torah, the Talmud, look, here's the the Gemara and the this and the that. And I'm like, okay, I don't even know how to battle that because I don't know enough information. So what do we respond to that?
0: First of all, let's assume for the sake of this conversation is we're not touching the halachic. aspect, we're not dealing with the Jewish law, and I'm even going to add, we're not touching some of the hashtag aspects, the the, the ph- philosophy of what the Jewish position is. I'm really putting out a little slice, which is back to the focus of, can I ask myself, why is that so unsettling for me? Why is it that somebody's speaking in absolutes at bad abortion, it's so upsetting, To a point that I shut down. Like, why can't I look at that person? Just be like, wow, I have my position. They have theirs. This is what it is. That's their position. What is it that's going on inside of me that is activating such a strong reaction? We all need to ask ourselves when we're confronted with a conversation, especially a conversation that makes the blood boil. Wait, why is this happening? And that's why one of the things I really enjoyed about my own jerks towards becoming a therapist is we have this concept called self of the therapist where part of a therapist is supposed to do is go to supervision, speak to somebody and say, including sitting with this couple and the wife is just getting on my nerves. The husband is driving me crazy. I have to pause and say, wait, what's going on for you? That's what we have. Transference, calendar transfer. Wait, wait what's going on? So you're sitting with this buffer at your table, and he's feeling absolute portion and your blood is boiling. You could ask yourself, what's my calendar transference? Why am I right now? so incapable of allowing that to exist. Why is it my world feel they need shut this down at all costs? Don't allow this perspective to exist, because if it persists, what will happen to the world around me? I'm not mining within my own space. We are trained in the Western world to be very adversarial. So all the focus is on how do I shut down the other person? Very little focus is how do I discover more about myself?
1: Let's say I discover that anything that has to do with pregnancies or anything like that is very sensitive to me because I had my own journey with pregnancies and not with abortion, but with pregnancies in general. And I know that it's hard for me. Should I not enter those conversations? Should I avoid them?
0: It depends. There's the reason why we have a concept called processing. If you feel that you could be driving on the highway, and you see our billboards on the topic, because you're driving through, I don't know, ultra conservative states, wherever you are, and all sides a people people have abortions go to hell. And your allergic reaction sets you off. I would say from perspective of just your own inner to say, wow, that was interesting. That was a really strong reaction to oh, billboards. Maybe I should revisit that topic. Maybe with a friend, a therapist. What's coming up for me? Why was there such strong reactions? Why did I get so dysregulated? over that. So I think there's always room to walk in and say, how much does this interfere with my ability to live? How tolerant I am of other people? Look, here's an interesting concept, right? From let's say, Jewish perspective, at least people who subscribe to this approach, there's a mitzvah of loving of fellow Jew. If you're walking around and hating another Jew because he's gay and she's gay, or because, I don't know, they did an abortion. We're the Veira. The Tanya has incredible discussions. Uh, because how do we conceptualize a Jewish yeshama and versus the actions of that person? And if person finds themselves, I don't know, the moment I hear something I disagree with, just forget it. I need to get rid of you, shut you down. It's worthwhile to pause and say, that's a mitzvah in the Torah also. You just want to love that person. If you walk around secretly with resentment or hatred, God forbid, towards another person, there's actual consequences for that. Just like you're keeping Shabbos and eating kosher, why aren't you both then asking yourself, I'm hating another Jew G- right now? That's an veil of two. Why am I spending time and saying, How do I process that could properly fulfill that mitzvah?
1: So it's not so simple.
0: It's not. Why would deep things be simple? That's what makes them deep.
1: Should we encourage people to have difficult conversations? because it seems like they need to go to get a PhD on listening and empathy and kindness and preparing the ground. It sounds like literally invading Gaza. Let's prepare the ground for a battlefield. And people might say, I actually don't want to hear about abortion. I don't want to hear about things that are irrelevant to me, and I don't want to agree with it. So c'est la vie. I'm out.
0: If somebody doesn't want to hear, that's first rule of safety, right? Is now a good time? No, now is not a good time. You know what? It's never a good time. It's that person that's thought you could do. That's a dead end. But if somebody says, look, I'm open to having conversation, but I'm very concerned. I'll be attacked for my views. I'll be criticized. You don't really want to hear me. You're just using it as a pretense, but you're going to attack me when you disagree. Great. I'm bring all this up. Let's have that contracting conversation. I really appreciate it. you're telling me that you feel like it's not so safe for you to be in this conversation right now. And so I want to know what can we adjust that will make it possible to have an open conversation about how you feel, how I feel. Through that genuine vulnerable exchange, how we can push forward and arrive at some new perspective. One thing I find this to be very much prevalent in the political realm, but I would walk away of conversation, of experience that I'd said to myself, if only he was willing to listen. Oh, really? I'll tell you why. Really? I think after this session, this experience, turn on and go on YouTube and search Ben Shapiro highlights college campuses. Here's what Ben does, which is amazing. He always says, the first people I want to hear questions from are from the left. He does always his first And he prides himself on, because obviously, conservatives are going to ask me something I already believe. So just, or like that echo chamber. I want to hear from the other side of the aisle, which that's very commandable. But what happens after the question is posed? There isn't pause for you. I really hear you. That's a hard subject. You're worried about your safety on this campus as a member of a LGBTQ community. You're worried. You don't feel entirely safe. The Waterblade, I hear you. Versus jump over all of that and say, you made it all up in your head. It's not even DSM manual. In fact, until DSM four. Gender dysphoria was a mental illness. There you have it. I don't know what you want from me. I'm not going to entertain conversation with somebody who convinced themselves of that. So, by that point in the conversation, what is the person from the microphone and the audience's field? I just stood up in a room of two, 300 people. I had the guts to bring myself to stand there, attempt to speak to a person who is very well read, very knowledgeable, and you basically wiped the floor with me. Now, you could say, and Ben's answer is always going to be, this forum is for. It's not here for me to pass you a box of tissues and cry with you. But all I'm saying is, when you're just some wolf as a super brain and you have answers to everything, that's not what closes the gap.
1: Fascinating that you're bringing this up. I think he goes for debates, usually. And debates are who's right and wrong. It's not, let's hold space for each other. Let's just put that, right? It's not, we're not listening to understand here because no one gets convinced in these places, right? Not Ben Shapiro and not the students, right? 100%. They both leave believing what they came in the first place. It's who's going to win. Right. So why even have these debates, right? But maybe the debates are for the people, the Erevrav, the people that are not sure, the people that are listening. So maybe it's for them, but it's not in order to cultivate empathy, so they're not really preparing the grounds. Let's listen to understand. Let's listen so I can respond and shut you down from your belief so I could, so we could say, who's going to win this war? It's really a war when it comes to these things. My kids are his biggest fans. I don't know enough about him. But last, a few times ago when I was in Florida, he was right in front of me in Trader Joe's. And I'm like, hey, Ben. My kids are your biggest fans. He was the kindest and he was so gentle with his child that was sitting in the little cart and he was communicating. He was really having a sweet interaction. And I'm like, wow, this star is becoming human with his little child and it's adorable. And he was very pleasant with the checkout person and with me and anybody that I was watching him. Because I, I, for me, I liked seeing the big celebrities, how they interact. I don't think his place is to listen to or understand. And maybe really we should ask ourselves before conversations, are we here to understand? Or are we here to debate?
0: That's right. And that's what Ben said. He said, he would say in interviews, in and what are we doing right now? Do you want me to hold space for your feelings or we want to have an intellectual exchange And... I'm arguing, and you could put me in on the streets and write me off on this. But I believe that those two can't truly be separated because our philosophical views are very much influenced by our emotional mm-hmm. worlds. And that's very much coming from Musar Hashkapa and the F. Masora, Daphne my Rav Dessler, who famously writes extensively about this in Striving for Truth, that nobody who truly claims to be an honest intellectual will also say that they, their emotions, their ideas, their biases are not playing a role in the way they're analyzing. it plays for both. I wanna share with you something quickly anecdotally and just, to, I think, to really bring this point home. I was once sitting with my friend, I was asking him a very hard question that just, just something in life I needed to figure out. And I remember I finished asking the question, he put his head down. I wanna say for good 10 to 20 seconds, for me, it felt like forever because I'm just sitting there and the stylist begins to settle in and the awkwardness is ready. And all of a sudden he picked up his head and says, I don't know. I don't know what you should do. I cannot tell you how much that I don't know helped me.
1: Permission to find your own answer. Permission to go deep and say, wait, Igor, you're a person. Not everyone has an answer for you. Sometimes you need to find your own answer.
0: That's right. And... What I'm trying to bring out is I get to pull all of this together because when I came with the question, I know I was already in distress. So my sympathetic nervous system is all fine. And his, I don't know, was actually a compassionate send. But we live in a world where if you say you're a neural, you appear incompetent, incapable. You don't know what you're doing. And yet, What's our tradition? Hazal, the, the rabbis teach us in the Talmud says, open A person should train himself every day to say, I don't know. But we live in a world where, no, I have to demonstrate. shit. Shapiro has been asked 10,000 questions. Any politician. Everybody's been asked tens of thousands of questions. When is the last time I heard a politician say, I don't know. Because if you think you don't know, you'll lose an election. So what's going on? A society built around sympathetic nervous system wired up to wazoo, constant state of distress and anxiety. And we're wondering why the medications are flying off the shelf at the pharmaceutical companies Yay! Yeah. Let's keep them all anxious and stressed. Let's keep them jacked up on this stuff. Because Why should we stop and connect to each other as human beings?
1: I want to share a story similar. Your rabbi too, Rabbi orlovic We spoke about this, that he is our rabbi. I think it was 15 years ago or longer. Every time we are in Israel, we go visit him. I, we try to. Ari, for sure. But sometimes I'll ask him if I can talk with him and have some time with Rebbe. I think Javi was one or two. It's a long time ago. And it was a Friday and I said, I really need to speak to you. I don't even remember what the topic was about, but I remember That I needed to go before Shabbos. I'm going to ask Ari if he remembers. Robert Luke said, when you need to talk to me, come. For some reason, he has a warm spot for Ari. And so I came and he's in his office and I start crying and crying. He kept on saying, I hear. And he hands me a tissue and he closes his eyes and says, I don't have what to say, but I'll sit here and cry with you because sometimes there's no answers. And part of me thought I want clarity, but I felt such warmth and a humble feeling of I'm not alone. I hear you.
0: I want to very quickly grab this last part and not lose it. But you just said that's gold. I'm not alone. Isn't it true? If you really think about it. A lot of the controversial questions, that's what I found in conversation with people. That's really the question behind the question. Yes. I feel alone in this. Yes. And I wish somebody was with me through this.
1: Yes. And the pain of feeling alone sometimes is greater than the actual pain. And the reason, and I'm so happy you brought this up because we're going to wrap it up on this because I think that the whole reason why I started listening to Understand is for people to be able to share their stories that are very uncomfortable or share insights or bring up difficult conversations so other people don't feel alone, even if people don't understand really what it's like or they don't agree. But just having the conversation makes them feel not alone, not ostracized, and holding space. And that's why when we talk about something, even though the situation didn't change, why do therapists get paid so much? Because sometimes just talking about it is already part of the healing. Somebody else is holding space for my pain. So maybe the goal of this podcast, and it's not easy, and you have to prepare the grounds, and you have to really work this muscle. And it has to be two or many in the relationship. It's not one. But maybe it's really about saying, okay, even if I don't agree, at least I'll hold space for a different Jew mm-hmm. or a different human. And I'll try to listen even if I disagree and if, even if it's hard. Because V'ahavta yeah. L'Rachaka is really that, right?
0: It's not just that. The other dimension, which is, it's also a godly attribute. That's one of the 13 meters of Hashem. Is unconditional love, mess ourselves up, mess up our world, mess up people around us. I share this all the time with people. Rabbi Devera, so beautifully in Tomer when he analyzes the 13 nidos of mercy, the 13 attributes of Hashem, that first quality that he says, think about this. While a person is committing an Avera, a sin, a violation of God's will, the person is having energy to do that. Where's the person getting energy from? It's from Hashem. Because Hashem is involved in our We believe Hashem is involved in the world every second. So now think about this. Hashem is giving me energy to violate His will. What is more unconditional love than that? He's holding us through our own process of hurting ourselves, others, going against Him. And He's giving the energy for us. And all that Hashem says is, I have one request. I want you to walk in my ways. I want you to be like me. I'm sitting short, and I look across the room and I say, I think that's the gay guy, or I think that's the guy, or whatever, doesn't believe it, no, abortion, and the whatever, the th- to stop and say, wait a second, I have an opportunity to process godly attribute to allow space, giving me an opportunity to work on accepting that person, not the things they do, but accepting the person and seeing that there's a eshema underneath.
1: And to say, I don't know the full story, and I'm not here to judge, but... If I can just be softer and kinder, maybe the world of the spirituality of connecting to God, because I think it's all about really connecting. If we're here, if we're listening to understand, if anybody's here, they believe in God. I don't think anybody's listening to this and is doesn't believe in energy, a force, a spirit, something bit higher. And I think they want to do the right thing. And I really believe that God doesn't want separation. God wants unity and us to connect to each other and accept each other, not be the judge and just leave the judging to God and stay out of being the. So how do people listen to difficult conversations on this podcast if they give me two tips of if somebody's being triggered, what should they do when they're listening to a podcast that there's no dialogue because they're not mirroring. How do they listen to something that's hard when they don't say but and no one's responding to their but?
0: I think I want to answer you trying to speak just in first person. And I'd like to retain humility and say, I also don't know. But here's what I will say. When I am sitting and I'm listening to Matanon and her guests and I'm hearing something that activates and something is triggering, something is upsetting. I would like to think that I'll sit down, take out a piece of paper and pen write it down, and I'll say to myself, after I'm done listening and I'll hear the perspectives and insights and and people's felt experiences and their life journeys, I want to sit down and like really chew on this question of what about that person was either triggering for me, upsetting me, irritating me, what was bothering me, and does any of that live in me? Now, we didn't touch this so much today, but Carl Jung, who was really the pioneer of something that we refer to as the shadow work, just basically a cute line. One of my professors once said, if you spot it, you got it.
1: Kola posel posel, right. is my mother's right. MO. And she always says, kola posel posel," And we hated when she said that because we didn't like looking inward.
0: Because who does? That's so why we send these things to the shadows. Right. And to stop and to say, you know what? I'm going to ask myself, scary, vulnerable. That is, does any of that live in me? What Mm -hmm. I see in the other person, what I struggle with, when I see that person, you're so lazy, and you never clean up and I'm doing all the work. But why is it bothering me so much? Is there something deeper going on other than surface interaction? And we don't want to go there, we don't want to allow ourselves to have a time for a meeting with our own shadow. But if something enters our radar very often, it's because in some way, it's also lived in us.
1: I have two questions to wrap up. Sure. Okay, two questions. And they're personal, so I hope you're willing to answer. If there's anyone from the Jewish history, from Adam and Eve till today, that you had the opportunity to meet... Who would that be and what would you ask them? You could take time to think.
0: In my heart, I knew that you finished the question, but your second question made it harder. The question is, undisputably, would be the altar of Slobodka, the great leader, Moshyiv, over Slobodka Shiva, that blessed the Jewish world in the next generation with people who basically built Judaism as we know it today. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Ruderman. These are people who all came from Slobodka. I find him to be a incredible person in his pedagogy and his Freud was just coming onto the scene. And the alter's ability to look at a human being and size up their essence and then know how to love them so that they could continue their journey towards their greatness. I don't know anyone who ever came near that that level of insight of human nature and human condition and i joke to my wife all the time if i had a time machine i would have learned this about if he would accept me and then what would i ask him that's a really hard question i would ask him it's funny you are really touching something very vulnerable for me rabbi grishow used to tell us the joke was if you go to europe in the 10s and 20s and you went to these main centers of Torah, if you came to the Shiva, there would be a, like a shingle outside and you would know what's the mission statement of this place. If you went to a city called Novartik in Russia, the outer Novartik had a very specific approach, and it was called Shiflaz Ha'adam, the smallness human being. And all the focus was of how to fight against the ego, and the boys would like embarrass us, like the joke is you go to pharmacy and you ask for nails. Because the whole idea was like, you don't exist. You're only here to serve Hashem. If you came to Slobodka, the slogan on the wall was, God was Ha'adam, greatness of a human being. What I really would want to ask him is, how do I hold on to that? Because I believe in it so wholeheartedly that we're all capable of amazing things. How can I hold on to it during the dark moments in my own journeys?
1: During the dark moments, like how to elevate yourself and feel that you're great when you don't feel great. I thought you would say while staying humble. <laughs> but I guess that's a bigger question. Like, How do I really infuse my self-esteem and my greatness when things are not working out and I don't feel the greatness that I want to be? Great question. Thank you. And that was the first question, which is a two-part. What part, what mitzvah, what commandment or piece of the Torah do you have a hard time relating to or observing if you don't have any
0: Hating or resenting another Jew in my heart, I find that has definitely been a long struggle, meaning there's a part of me that, part of why I became religious is I cherish truth so much, truth is something very important, an integral part of me. At the same time, I also have naturally a part of me that could be very harsh with people. If I feel they're not pushing themselves enough or they're not progressing, I can be very judgmental and I'm, not that I go and argue with people, but I feel it inside and many times that I find myself feeling, wow, this is like one or greater, this submits trans- this so I wish I could properly fulfill that I would be in a place where I look at another person struggling and I could just say, you're a fellow traveler just like me and I wish I could just be here to hold hands with you to continue this journey and not be harsh, dismissive, judgmental.
1: Wow, thank you for sharing that. Wow, it really brings that back home. Where can people reach you?
0: There's a website, relationshipreimagined.com. And and there's a contact link there.
1: Igor, thank you for your time, for your education, for always trying to elevate us and to have meaningful conversations, more connection, and truly living a more meaningful, I think it's meaningful life with our relationships.
0: Yeah. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you thank you for listening to understand we hope you enjoyed today's episode please hit that follow button on your favorite podcast app this way you don't miss an episode and you help us grow you are part of our growth we appreciate your support and we hope you choose to listen to us on our next episode. We'd love to hear from our audience. If there's anything you would like us to research, to talk about, please contact us on our website, listeningtounderstand.com. And if there's any insight that you got from this and you want to share with others, and you are happy for us to read it out loud on our show, send us your insights, send us your thoughts. We want to listen to understand. Bye till next time.